Welcome to the number one MSU basketball podcast in America. The Final Four is not on the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thank you for having me. I uh, I have listened to your guys' podcast numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold, and Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're going to lose. Coming down the stretch, you're going to lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here, and we're here to preview MSU's last exhibition game against Tennessee before the start of the season on November 6th against James Madison. As you might recall, Michigan State played Tennessee in a closed scrimmage last season, uh, which is pretty typical for Michigan State. I think previously they played Gonzaga a couple times. Uh, They keep it closed. A lot of programs do this. They allow them to close games or just work on situational scrimmages to allow them to test lineups, schemes, work on situations like end of game against different opponents and usually highly skilled opponents. So it gives you a better feel for your team. Uh, this year, the Tennessee game is going to be opened and it because of what happened in Maui, the, the wildfires. And so it's turned into a fundraiser television event. Uh, it's now like a top 10 matchup because Tennessee, I think ranked ninth in most polls. Michigan State, of course, top five and Tennessee comes in with a strong defensive veteran team visits the president for what should be a, an, a surprising, I guess you'd say, uh, unexpected uh, matchup that we get to witness, which would be kind of cool. Uh, so before we start, I just want to really thank all of you who listen to the show. I mean, our listenership is up quite a bit. It's exploded this year, which we'd really like to thank all of you. Um, and we'd like to think it's the, our quality and reliability of the content we provide, but it's probably at least in part <laughs> due to the excitement over this year's team. So uh, thanks again. Please continue to share the show with your friends and family. If you haven't subscribed, do so now. It costs nothing. Please leave a review and comment on your podcast player. It only takes a second, but it drives even more Spartan fans into our family with the algorithms, and it's real, truly helpful. Uh, finally, if you find what we're doing here fun and would like to support it, head on over to tiffnots.com. That's T-F-F-I-N-O-T-S dot com slash support. Uh, there you can get links to make one-time contributions to the show via PayPal or Venmo or recurring gifts through Patreon and Substack. All right, so let's talk about number nine, Tennessee, coming into the Brunson Center to face number four, Michigan State, exhibition game on this Sunday at 3.30. It's going to be on BTN. Uh, the Vols are coming off a performance pretty similar to Michigan State in the sense that they got to the Sweet 16. They knocked out a very good team in Duke in the round of 32. Michigan State, you know, of course, beat Marquette. They've now been to five straight NCAA tournaments uh, with no worse than a five seed in any of them. Coached by Rick Barnes, who was previously at Texas, and he's won 66% of his uh, games and 61% of SEC games in his eight seasons at Knoxville. So he's got the team playing very well. They're Michigan State. They are a veteran team. They have three fifth-year players, a four-year player, four juniors, three sophomores, and two redshirt freshmen along with three freshmen. And that experience has helped them quite a bit. They ran off to a 3-0 record during their uh, European trip where they toured Italy. They blew out the Lithuanian U21 team twice, then had a huge win over a Rome-based professional team. They were number one in defense last season uh, and are expected 
probably to be the same this year and be very good, which has always been one of the trademarks of Rick Barnes. They finished in the top 10 uh, four times in the last six seasons on the defensive side and were holding opponents to less than 50 points in 12 games last year, which was best in the nation. But, of course, the other part of the side of the coin is they're only 64th in offensive efficiency, and they really struggled with poor shooting and turnovers. They're 177th, which was somewhat mitigated by the fact that they were a very good offensive rebounding team at number six. They also tend to play very slowly, number 288th in pace, which is about as slow as you can get, and 246th in average length of offensive possession. Uh, The big news from them is that their leading scorer, Santiago Vescovi, uh, due to a family situation in Uruguay, he won't be playing, and so uh, that's twelve and a half points a game that they're not going to have. It's um, it's going to be a very good test. Now, they're not going to be at full strength. You mentioned their leading scorer is out. They also have their their starting point guard from a year ago, Ziegler, um, uh, Zakai Ziegler, is questionable for this game. He. He had an ACL injury last February, and so he's been rehabbing to come back from that ever since. And he's made progress, but last I saw it was on earlier today, it was uncertain as to whether he was going to play on Sunday. So even if we do see him play, I suspect he may not be, you know, exactly in, in the kind of form that you would otherwise expect. So they're down a couple of bodies, but right. I will say, when you go through this team, um, you get the sense they're one of the few clubs in America that I think can actually get into the conversation with Michigan State in terms of quality depth. That you know, keeping in mind that again, definitely one and maybe two of their likely starters aren't playing in this game. That's especially true. Um, when this team gets everybody back and and they're fully um, they're fully lined up and ready to go, uh, they're going to be able to be in the discussion with just about anyone in terms of in terms of their depth. And to me, that makes them the clear cut favorite in the SEC. I mean, every year people will talk about Kentucky, but let's be honest, Kentucky hasn't been Kentucky in the last few years and they're extremely young again this year calipari has gone back to his freshman centric approach after trying it with a lot of uh transfers a lot of portal guys the last couple years and and not having it really work so people will talk about kentucky of course alabama and arkansas have been sort of flavors du jour um in the uh, Auburn, I suppose. Yeah, Auburn has been, and I, you know, they'll probably be competitive again. But um, to me, I, I think Tennessee is clear cut on paper at this stage. They look like the best team in that league, and much like Michigan State, they're a team that I think can realistically think about a Final Four. They, they probably feel as irritated coming out of March as Michigan state did to refresh people's memory. They were, they were in the same region and they had beaten Duke. They then had Florida Atlantic and couldn't beat Florida Atlantic for a chance to go to the elite eight. Um, So they have a similar kind of feeling to the one Michigan state has, which was some level of satisfaction for getting to the second weekend, but ultimately some disappointment 
in a year where, you know, you had to look at it and it's no disrespect to Florida Atlantic, who was a very good team and should be very good again this year. But if you're a Michigan state or a Tennessee and you look at a region that Florida Atlantic wins and you were in it, you know, you were in the, you were in the competition to win the thing. You yeah. have to look at that as a missed opportunity. So, I mean, that's just how it is right, right or wrong. That's how you're going to view it. So I think they're, they're coming at this from a similar place. Uh, the depth is similar. They are, as you mentioned, historically under Barnes, a very good defensive program. They are a very good rebounding program. Typically they are physical. They are tough. Um, a lot of the same attributes that we usually talk about in regard to Michigan state also apply to Tennessee. I think that's one of the reasons that Tom Izzo and Rick Barnes have had a good relationship for a number of years. People probably remember MSU used to play his Texas teams um, with some regularity. And, yep. you know, now, you know, they, they scrimmaged this Tennessee team in Knoxville last year before the season. The only difference was there weren't cameras. They're doing it again this year. So there's definitely a lot of mutual respect and a good relationship. But I think some of it probably has to do with the fact that the values of the programs are, are very similar. Um, I will say there are a couple of differences. One is Tennessee is coming off a very bad offensive year. If that team had shot even decently, even at a mediocre level, we probably are talking about a final four team and maybe even more than that because their defense was elite. Uh, but they just could not shoot from three, from two, wherever they struggled. And then they compounded <laughs> that with a terrible problem with turnovers. They were 177th in turnover percentage. So thank God for them. They were number six in offensive rebounding because without that, this could have been really <laughs> awful. Um, yeah. So, so that's a difference. I, I think, um, now that they, as we're going to get into, when we talk about their team, they have some reason to think that they're going to be better offensively this year, but they need to be. Whereas Michigan state, I think can point to much more in the way of proven offensive performance on its roster than Tennessee has. The other thing I would say is yes, it looks like Tennessee is going to be very deep, but the it's a little different formula to get there than Michigan state had Tennessee lost four guys who were in the rotation last year. And it was a variety of ways that that happened. A couple guys were out of eligibility. They had a kid in Julian Phillips who went to the NBA after one year, um, went in the second round. And then they had Olivier uh, Kamua, who we talked about when we did our preview of Michigan who transferred yeah, out to man. Michigan. So they lost some guys. They've in turn added some guys via the portal, some guys that they're really counting on to help that offensive improvement, which again, we'll get into. So they're not relying on freshmen in the rotation the way MSU is. There's um, only one true freshman that's in their rotation. And I think there's maybe one or two other red shirts who are in the mix. Um, but, there's less overall familiarity with each other. So there's a little more of a process likely that's going to, they're going to have to go through on the flip side to that. However, 
as you mentioned, they did have that trip to Italy. They got to play three games. Normally, those European trips right. are very beneficial in terms of accelerating your your process when you're trying to get a team to come together. It's helpful if you've got one of those things in play because you get more practices that go along with that, et cetera. So you're able to work with coaches and the team together with a little more frequency than, than you are if you don't have one of those trips. So interesting team, though. I have a lot of respect for them, and they're going to give Michigan State one hell of a test. There's no doubt about that, even down a couple guys or one guy for sure. I feel like in general, Tom has had pretty good success against Rick Barnes' team, he has. whether Texas or Tennessee. He's To my – I could be wrong about this, but my recollection – is he lost, and I'm trying to think. I think Rick Barnes was the coach there when they lost to TJ Ford and that team in the Elite Eight. In um, mm. in uh, what year was that? That was uh, 2002. And I think that's the only loss. Um, but I, 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 I'm willing to be corrected by our listenership if if I've missed something, but I know there were at least a couple, the one that always sticks in my mind was the game in Austin where um, Denzel Valentine got loose on a break and threw it off the backboard and, and BJ Dawson dunked and transitioned. It was just a, 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 an emphatic point in a, in a pretty, pretty easy Michigan state win that day. Yeah, I feel they've had some good games too. I they feel have. Like they were, was it Vegas? They were playing and they were behind and came yep. back and won that. That's right. Again, a few years but, ago. But that too. was uh, that might have been Shaka Smart though. Okay, that was Shaka Smart. Okay. That was yeah. But yep. they they did have a right. run of some regular season games when when Rick Barnes was the head coach there. So look, these Tennessee teams are very similar to the ones he had at Texas. He was always able to recruit, and he's continued to do that at Tennessee. He's done a very solid job recruiting. Um, his teams have always been good defensively. On the other hand, they've always tended to maybe be a little more questionable on the offensive end. Um, but, man, I, I think he's still – it does feel to me like once he got to Tennessee and he's done what he's done there, that has kind of rehabbed the um, impression of him. Yeah, as a coach, so too. because he really took a lot of abuse at Texas. And to me, when you looked at his track record there, look, OK, the guy wasn't getting to a bunch of final fours and he wasn't winning national championships. So duly noted, he's not the elite, elite level, but he was really consistently good there. And that's not a place where historically you take that for granted. Texas <laughs> Uh, yeah. Now I think it is. They think they think they deserve, you know, that could be because of the amount of money they spend, the, uh, the resources. Yeah, it's a funny place. But it's not. Yeah. That for a long time, Texas was considered a sleeping giant. And what that means is they were asleep a lot of the time. So <laughs> they weren't. That was not a basketball <laughs> power. You know, they had some they had some brief moments when Tom Penders was the head coach there. But but Rick Barnes is really the guy who's built the modern Texas. I, I just remembered the biggest win probably by MSU over Rick Barnes team was when um, um, Drew Neitzel and company beat uh, Kevin Durant and that team at, I think at Madison square garden. 
Um, so there've been some, yeah, there've been some interesting matchups, but I really do think Rick Barnes is, uh, is a very, very good coach. And, you know, Tennessee is in a position where, you know, all it's going to take is a break here or there. And I mean, if we're going to, I guess I look at Rick Barnes and I compare the way he's talked about by a lot of people with the way that a guy like Matt Painter is talked about. Well, what has Matt Painter done that Rick Barnes hasn't, you know, except Rick Barnes has done it a lot longer. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I just, I think it, it, he could be one of those guys that it's, it's just going to take that one year where the breaks go his way and he gets, you know, he's been to a final four. I believe he's been to one, the, the one with TJ Ford. Um, but I, I think that the fact that he's got Tennessee in that discussion, at least pretty much every year is testament to how good he is. So this is, this is going to be a heck of a test. Texas is funny. It's a tough place to coach because both their basketball and football programs they expect so much. And honestly, not like, you know, not world beater results for the most part. Well, um... I, you know, I feel like Texas basketball is tough because it's like it's like that job in a few other places where you're never you're never going to be the main attraction, no matter what you do. And right. So for some guys, that's good. Some guys like, hey, that's great. I get to I get to move in silence. I don't have people up in my business all year long most of the spotlights taken by football i can just do my thing there are certain coaches that enjoy that frankly you can make a pretty good argument that where he currently is at tennessee is that way you know tennessee basketball yeah. has really good attendance numbers that are top five every year because uh, they got a big gym and they mostly fill it but you know basketball is a nice they like it they support it but it's a lot like texas they don't they don't live and die with the way some other places do. And so, you know, it's, it's easier in some ways to exist in a job like that. I think because you can go along and maybe not have, let's put it this way in those jobs, you can last a good long while. If you're consistently getting to the NCAA tournament winning, you know, you're competitive in your league, but that's kind of about it. Yeah. Whereas, if you do that at North Carolina, you do that at Kansas, you know, places like that, Indiana, um, that's, that's just not going to be good enough. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, even yeah. Michigan state people screaming about Tom is because he hasn't been to a final four in four years. <laughs> I mean, think about that. And I'm not yeah, saying, no, you're I'm right. not saying it's the majority of the fan base, but it's, it's a greater than zero number. You know, so yes, at least a, a loud minority. So it's a, you know, my assumption would be, you know, Rick Barnes also coached at Clemson too. So he's been at three places where basketball has been sort of the sideshow. So my conclusion is he's comfortable in that kind of environment. But I, um, as I say, I think the job he's done at Tennessee in writing that ship, because they went through, you know, after Bruce Pearl was forced out of there, they went through the, uh, I believe it was the Buzz Peterson era where it didn't, and and then Quanzel Martin too, where there was some um, there was some turmoil, and Barnes really got it together in fairly short order, and I think the job he's done there just proves beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is a guy who 
if he's not quite in the elite club, he's in the very, very good club historically. Yeah. So uh, talking about the game briefly, uh, you know, it's it. My impression, at least from last season, is that it wasn't a, a regular full game. They played a portion of a full game, right. and then they worked on situational, yep. you know, endings and things like that. Uh, I think it wasn't clear until maybe recently. It sounds like now it's just going to be a regular exhibition game, much like we saw against Hillsdale. We don't know. We don't know. You know, Izzo mentioned again in the press conference last night that he and Rick were going to talk about that, you know, what they were going to do. I suspect because the cameras are there and because they're charging people, you know, people are paying money to see this game and, and all that. I suspect yeah. you're right. I suspect that's what we'll see. But but I don't believe we've had firm confirmation of that. Yeah, and so I think there's a, there's a not a risk, I suppose, but there is some value to this game. Yes, it, it is meaningless in the sense that your overall standings will not be reflected on this game, one way or the other, whether you win or lose by right. one or a hundred, you know. But it is going to shape AP voters' minds. It's going to give people an idea of where these teams are, and which, you know, it is an exhibition game, and so you coach it differently, I imagine, right? I mean, you just you don't worry as much about the outcome, but you're going to have to in some respects. Like, you know, obviously Hillsdale, had Michigan State lost to Hillsdale, it would have meant something to the voter, like pre, the, the voters as far as AP and uh, whatnot. So there's going to be some importance to the game. And you you always wonder about a game like this. Let's say it comes down, and not that I expect this to be the case, but if both teams were, say, in the same line in the NCAA tournament, and then the, the committee's like, selection committee is like, well, they did play each other. It was exhibition, but, you know. Tennessee won by 10 and East Lansing, so that's probably worth something. I, I, you always wonder if that actually comes into play. I'm sure that's why they generally like to have them closed. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't, you can just work I, on your game yourself. I but don't, I it's don't just the nature think, of things. I don't think so. I I've, I've seen a person or two out there try to make that point. I, I, I just don't think so. It, it just, it, it, it remains to be seen how they play this, you know, it's sure. one thing to say, well, yeah, they're going to play a 40 minute game and, you know, it's going to resemble a real game. All right, that's fine. But what do the substitution patterns look like? You know, what are they? Can you tell what they're trying to do? Are they really trying to do everything they can to win it? Or are they trying to to really utilize this opportunity to test certain combinations of players, situational stuff, you know? All those kinds of things. And we're just not going to know until we see it. I, I suspect that given the format, given that it's televised, I think it'll be difficult for either of these guys to not play to win. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. But we again, we just don't know. And either way, I don't think you're going to see the committee. I mean, they they would explicitly be barred from doing that. Now, you could say, well, <laughs> it's human nature to account for it if there were a certain situation like the one you mentioned where they're kind of head to head. Um, but I, I just don't see, look, I, I question, I there's, it's not that there's another way to do it. That makes sense. But I think we see every year, you know, how much predictive value does an outcome in mid November have when you're trying to evaluate where a team is at in mid March. You know, almost in many instances, almost none. So now we're talking about an exhibition in October. I mean, come on. Well, I mean, I think, you know, yeah, taking away the exhibition aspect of it and talking to Dom 
uh, the bracketologist last season. These games matter, but I feel like they almost matter more for a league standpoint. Not and again, not this exhibition game, but just you know, non-conference games. It's sort of the strength of your oh, conference. Oh no, they do. Other, other they absolutely do, and and they do matter. And they for can definitely record. hurt you, like Central Michigan hurt Michigan, and you know. Yeah. No, no, non-conference games where they actually count. Yeah, there's there's no question about that. I'm just saying, if you're tr- if you're if you're trying to really. I mean, we're talking getting down to brass tacks, say, okay, between two teams, which one is better as we sit here on March 12th or whatever it is. And you're utilizing an outcome of a game on November 17th, never mind October, whatever it's going to be, 28th, 29th, as as having some kind of uh, import in terms of answering that question. I just think that's, it's really difficult. On the other hand, at least for regular season games, there's no alternative to it. So, of course, you do. You use it. And mm, yeah. and as you say, it really matters. I say this every year. The, the strength of schedule stuff is impacted primarily by what happens in those first six weeks or so of the season. Because that's when you're having all of these interconference matchups and that that's going to determine it. So you have to hope that your league is winning a lot of non-conference games. That goes that holds true for anybody. Yeah. The best for the Big Ten is for Minnesota not to play their full non-conference yeah. schedule. I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as we've seen, uh, the the only other thing of note which would be interesting, but I don't think it'll happen. But it you know Tom floated maybe a week ago or so that maybe they'd even have a dunk contest, which of course after the Hillsdale game watching Cohen Carr, everyone would love to see that. Um, but. I don't think that happened. Although there might be plenty of opportunities for dunks during the game, obviously. So, uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's go through the starters uh, for Tennessee and talk about the opponents. And I, and I wanna, so we'll begin I with Freddie. Emphasize, oh, go I ahead. Emphasize. This is a guess. It's a guess because we've got some uncertainty as to who may play, and then there really is some uncertainty about who the who the starting five will be. But it's it's the best guess we've got for now. So. Don't hold it right. against us. We haven't seen him play. Don't yeah. hold it against us if a name or two is different. Yeah. So uh, the only one we know for sure from Michigan State standpoint is Kohler's obviously out with, uh, with the foot until mid-December at this point, as we're recording this on Thursday, uh, the 26th. So uh, for starters, we think, uh, we'll start with Freddie Dion, the fifth, the six five redshirt freshman. He enrolled halfway through last season but didn't end up playing. He's going to probably fill in for the – likely starter uh, Ziegler, who is still working his way back from an ACL injury that he suffered in uh, February. So uh, Dion started twice in Italy, posted 16 assists to just six turnovers, not too bad in three games, uh, but not great shooter, 39, 31 and 67. Yeah. They like him a great deal. Uh, you know, he was mentioned, he was an early enrollee uh, halfway through the season and didn't play. Um, and sometimes I'm suspicious of those moves as to whether they end up really panning out. But in this case, I think it will in part because I don't know that they expect him to actually be a starter, assuming Ziegler comes back and is, is healthy. Uh, but there, there's a lot to like about him. Good size for the position at 6'5". The, the numbers you cited from the European trip for whatever that's worth, he did a good job at valuing the ball and yet still being a playmaker. He's a pretty good athlete, 
Now, the one knock is his jumper maybe needs some further refining, but overall, very good player. And if you start talking about him as a backup point guard, well, then you, you're really, you know, you start getting into a spot where Michigan State is, where how good they feel about their reserve guards. I think Tennessee looks to be in a somewhat similar position. Next, move to Jordan Ganey, a 6'3 junior transfer from South Carolina, South Carolina Upstate. Uh, one of the transfers you talked about earlier, he averaged 15.1 points, uh, points a game and was first team all Big South, shooting 40% from three. Yeah, and this is one of the two guys they brought in to help improve, correct, their perimeter deficiencies, which were serious last season. You know, he shot, this is a guy who shot the ball very, very well at South Carolina Upstate. And he did a nice job in three games in Italy for whatever that's worth shooting the ball. So um, with him, I'm not certain he'll be a starter when everybody's back, but starting or key reserve, he's going to be a guy they, they really lean on to help improve that part of the game for them. And of course, as we always say, the caveat is he was playing South Carolina upstate. So whether that shooting translates to the next yeah, level, it's a fair question we'll when you got to transfer up like that. And same is true. The next guy we'll talk about, um, mm-hmm. those are open questions, but both of them were productive on their foreign tour. So that was a good early sign. Yeah. The next player, as you just mentioned, a six, six transfer from Northern Colorado, Dalton connect. He averaged 20.2 points a game. Uh, was second team all Big Sky, and uh, led the led the team in scoring at least with their overseas in Europe at 16 points a game, uh, with 48 percent from three. So I certainly shown signs that he's going to be able to fix a lot of the, some of that scoring. Problem. Yeah, I, I think again he's another guy that that clearly they're going to put a lot on in terms of hoping that he can help improve those areas of the offense where they really struggled a year ago. Um, but as you say, when you're transferring up, he comes after a, he was second team all big sky last year. This is a jump. And I think if I was Rick Barnes, I would imagine he's really excited about this game too, in part yeah, because he's gonna he's, got. he's gonna get an opportunity to get these two guys in particular, get them a chance to play and the freshmen at point, all three of them, to give them an opportunity to play against a high caliber backcourt that is going to get into them, you know, and at, and at the offensive end, when they're defending um, that is going to, is both going to run some very good stuff. And in, at times is going to look to um, test them as individual defenders, you know, AJ Hogarth, Mm -hmm. Tyson Walker, Jay Nakins, those guys are going to look to get to the rim too. So um, good, important test for Tennessee's transfers for sure. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see what they how they do on the defensive end, right? Because they haven't been part of that Tennessee right. program, and they've only had a few weeks or well months at least to sort of get up to yeah, speed. Yeah, that's an open it's, with how they that's play. That's a good point. I mean, that's an open question. You know, you bring these two guys in, and in large part because of how much you think they can help you offensively, but you don't want to lose your identity at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. you want to get better where you were weak and stay strong where you were strong. All right, the next player is Josiah Jordan-James. He is our highlighted player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter. If your life's in the gutter and you're having all kinds of problems with water issues in your house, and man, I feel like it's rained about every day in October. <laughs> so uh, 
make sure you have the right gutters taking care of you, uh, taking care of your roof and any sort of water issues around the house. Having good gutters is critical to having a dry house. And so if you're having trouble, the brothers at Just Two Gutters are the ones to call. They took care of my house, took care, helped take care of my wife's office. Uh, they do fantastic work, super responsive, quick, fully insured. They can repair, they can replace, they can clean your gutters, put the leaf guards in like if, like me. So I'm kind of Mr. Fancy Pants. I don't have to clean up my gutters with the leaves all the time, which is really great now. Uh, so check out the gut brothers at Just Two Gutters. You can get covered if you're most of the state of Michigan in the lower part. You can get, if you're on the west side, Curtin's team in the Grand Rapids the Saugatuck, Holland area, or if you're on the east side of the state in the Metro Detroit area, Kerr or Greg will take care of you. So you can find the contact information uh, below at brothersgutters.com. And so uh, you can also get 10% off if you mention file four when you get your, your estimate. Okay. So Josiah Jordan James, six, seven, fifth year senior, uh, son of former Spartan, Kurt James, uh, averaged 10 points a game, 4.7 rebounds a game, and had a nearly two to one assist to turnover ratio. Uh, last year, although he really had a uh, struggle with injuries, he shot 37, 31, and 86. Yeah, yeah, I, I sort of discount his numbers last year because he was really, uh, he was struggling with injuries. He didn't play in that uh, scrimmage that Michigan State had, and then he, he sat out for the early stages of the regular season, got back, was good, but he wasn't necessarily the guy I think he would have otherwise been. He's had an interesting career. I, I don't know that you could say he's quite matched expectations because, and, and some of our listeners may remember his recruitment, he, he kind of came out of nowhere. Um, he was playing on a, for a non-shoe circuit team, so somewhat similar to Xavier Booker and, and Garrick Norman. Mm-hmm. I think he was on that same New York to L.A. circuit, if I remember correctly. But uh, he was out of South Carolina, didn't have a big name, and all of a sudden just exploded. Michigan State was involved. As you mentioned, his dad played at MSU in the early 80s, Kurt James, who I believe is from Pontiac. Uh, But he lived in South Carolina for years. Wasn't necessarily as locked in with the program as some other guys are. And so I don't feel like that connection – Plus, it was a connection to Judd's era, too. Um, even before Izzo, Izzo was not an assistant while, while his dad was at MSU. So there really wasn't quite that level of connection you would normally expect in that kind of situation. And MSU was in it and, and recruited him well, and they were well-received. But um, in the end, it came down to Duke and Tennessee. And I remember there was a big expectation he would pick Duke. And it was considered a surprise. Yeah, you expect that if that's your choice. It, it ended up being a surprise that he picked Tennessee. But um, I think there were expectations. You know, anytime you get a guy like that, you think, well, we probably get him for one year. If we get two, we're lucky. Here he is, his fifth year in the program. So for Michigan fans, I guess, um, I guess Rick Barnes must have borrowed Tom Mizzo's hypnotism manual for how you convince <laughs> these guys to stay all these years against their best interests. Right. Um, or, or just get him injured all the yeah, time. Maybe that's it. And <laughs> look in this case, and I think Josiah hasn't been quite the dominant player that his ranking would have suggested, but what he has been is an extremely versatile guy. He contributes to winning pretty much across the board. He's a very good defensive player. 
He's got good size and strength for the position. I mean, I've got him here kind of nominally at a power forward in this lineup, but I think realistically um, he's more of a hybrid because uh, he can do a little bit of everything. Wing, he can yeah. make plays. He can score. He can rebound. He can defend a variety of players. He's just a good player who contributes in a lot of ways for his team. And that's okay too. You know, you don't have to be a, a superstar in order to have been a valuable recruit, a valuable player for your program. And I think that's what he is. Now that he's this far past his injury, I would expect he'll be better than he was a year ago. That's what I'm expecting to see. So that's why we've selected him um, as, as the guy to uh, keep in the gutter, so to speak, um, <laughs> yeah. on the Tennessee roster. But he's a good player. Yeah. A key to probably limiting their offense and their team's effectiveness. Uh, so final starter we suspect is Jonas Idu, his 6'11 junior, averaging uh, 5.1 points a game, 4.9 rebounds a game last season. Mostly reserve at that time. He shot 51, 28, and 75 and had a little over a block a game. Yeah, and I think no matter how you slice it, whether he's starting or as a reserve um, when the lights are on, uh, he's going to see his role expanded from a season ago. You know, they they definitely lost a couple of guys on the interior um, from last year's team, so they need some of these players that were a little a little deeper in the rotation to step forward into bigger roles, and he's one of them. Good size at 6'11". He can block shots. He can rebound. He can give them some interior scorings. Got a little bit of face-up ability, although those numbers don't suggest that you really worry about him as a three-point threat. Um, but, you know, look, Barnes has had perpetually, he's had guys like this that are just active and tough and strong on the interior. And so you mm -hmm. just, you know, no matter what the names are on the back of the jerseys, you know what you're in for when you're playing Tennessee. You're going to have to go through some of those types of guys, and he's one of them. And so move on to reserves then. Uh, we expect uh, Toby Iwaka, 6'8", sophomore. He averaged 13.7 points a game and 10, a little over 10 rebounds a game during the Italian tour. Shot 80% from the floor, 64% from the line. Uh, had a pretty good sophomore uh, freshman season where he averaged 10 minutes a game, averaging three points and uh, almost four rebounds a game. But again, a couple things going on here. One is you can expect as he's matured to see his role maybe expanded a little bit. But the other thing is, you know, right now, Tennessee's down one, maybe two guards, depending upon Ziegler. So once the regular season actually hits, he may not play as prominent a role. But for now, for this game, I would expect him to play a fair amount. And as you say, he was productive in Italy. Yeah, next would be 6'4 junior guard. Jemai Meshek, he averaged 4.7 points a game uh, as a part-time starter last season. He shot 42, 31, and 58. And he, <laughs> if you've been paying attention, a lot of 30, low 30s for three-point shooting for all their players, which is, you know, goes back to your point of him troubling scoring. Yeah, and that's where, you know, a guy like him, his role in the rotation may hinge on how much improvement he's shown and then what some of these other guys they brought in are able to do. You know, you would yeah. normally expect, okay, you're going to step up in the rotation, see a little more time. But if he's unable to hit shots at a more consistent rate, that, that may be impacted. 6'5", Richard, freshman guard, DJ Jefferson's next. He averaged seven points a game uh, on the Italian trip, uh, but had a lot of trouble with his shot, hitting only two of 13 from three. And so, you know, <laughs> 
he does not sound does not at least at first blush seem to look be the problem the uh, solution to the problem for the Vols. Well, and that yeah, and again, th- this is a guy who really should be impacted once they've got everybody back. Uh, next would be six eleven freshman JP Estrella. He averaged six point three rebounds a game in just sixteen minutes a game overseas, and so uh, you know with that that size, obviously that makes him almost for sure a backup five for the the team. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's some we're used to seeing Tennessee with a ton of size. This team doesn't have quite as much, you know. Really, only the six eight kid, the six eleven kid starting, and then Estrella, but um, that's why he's important because Rick Barnes does like to use his big guys. And so um, I think there's a consistent role available for him. And finally, uh, Zakai Ziegler, 5'9", junior point guard. He's the one we talked about earlier, questionable, uh, coming back from his ACL injury. He averaged 10.7 points a game on 38, 31, and 83 shooting, and better than a five uh, assist per game with a two and a half to one assist to turnover ratio. And, you know, this is a, the number one, key for both teams of course is getting out of this game healthy and so i'm sure he's not going to go out there and get push it you know push to get on the floor but probably want to get him some game reps if he can get it and they feel like it's safe yeah i mean it's just again it's an uncertainty at this stage you just don't know um but when he's right he's a very dangerous player even though he too like a lot of these guys struggled with his shot um he's very quick when he's right physically He's a good decision maker, and he's just a guy who does the things that you want your point guards to do generally, which is make everybody else a little bit better via his playmaking. So, and he's a defensive presence too with that quickness. So, a very dangerous player. Just uncertain how much we'll see him, if at all. We just have to see. Yeah, and at five foot nine, is he about the same height as? Uh that Kansas state point guard from last from the NCAA. He <laughs> is, but he's, you can almost overlook people with that size. You're like, Oh, no big deal. He's, he's built differently. Like six. Yeah. And he's not. And unlike, unlike uh, that kid, um, he at least to date in his career has not shown the kind of shooting ability that would make you worry. Ziegler is more of a, a traditional um, distributor playmaker, make everybody mm-hmm. better type as opposed to, a big time scorer, at least, at least to date in his career. That's what he's been. All right. So let's move on to the five keys to the game uh, brought to you by nudge printing. And it is kind of that time of the year now where you're getting near the end of sports season. If you have a school or a fundraiser or maybe a band or something, and you need um, some sort of shirt design put together and shirts to be sell for fundraisers, or maybe just for solidarity or the parents uh, buying things, this is a great opportunity. You can go to Fabricated Customs. Uh, that's also, you can find that at the nudgeprinting.com website. That's sort of the second business that Gabe and Brittany have, the print shop out of Portland, where they can design your shirt, whatever you need, and then they can print them. And then the nice thing is, is you don't have to just guess how many shirts you need. You can have all the parents order. They can pay the pay uh, the Gabe and Brittany, and then they'll ship them out to everyone. And so it makes it much easier from a logistics standpoint, either if it's your business or a school fundraiser, it's a great way to get things done. And so I think it's a great service they provide. Uh, it's a, and it takes a lot of the hassle out of things because one of the hardest things is collecting money and trying to you know coordinate where all the shirts come when they deliver and delivering them. They can take care of all that stuff for you. So if you need that done, uh, either, again, for your business, school, whatever, check them out. Uh, they have great pricing. 
And you're probably not going to find a better service than that. And obviously great Spartans, uh, all Michigan products. So you can check that out at fabricatedcustoms.com. All right. So first key of the game, just like I mentioned, health, make sure you get out of this game. It doesn't count for anything. So make sure no one gets hurt. <laughs> In any exhibition game, I think that's, uh, that's the number one objective. <laughs> Maybe all th- one through five yeah. <laughs> in some ways. Uh, number two. So these are obviously very similar. You, if, if, when you come look back at the Hillsdale, number two is pace. So these are conflicting teams now. We've seen Michigan State against Hillsdale. They wanted to run. They move fast. Tennessee, assuming they're similar to last year, and there's no reason to think they'll be much different. They're going to be very slow. And so it's, you know, the the classic battle, the towards in the hair here, right? Yeah. And, and normally Michigan state in these games, you say, okay, if, if you're playing Michigan state and you want to make it slow, you're going to be successful because the general rule of thumb is it's usually easier for a team that wants to slow it down to win the battle of pace against a team that wants to speed things up. And particularly so with Michigan State, because Michigan State is not a team historically who looks to create pace via its defense, right? So they're not pressing, they're not trapping, right. et cetera. However, I think we're going to see a little more, certainly not trapping, but obviously full court pressure, but also more ball pressure generally in the half court and more attempts to get into the passing lanes. And so I'm going to be interested to see if that has any impact. Um, Tennessee, I'm suspecting, is going to be starting a fairly a, a new backcourt. You know, yeah, they had those three games, yeah. which helps. But um, even so, it's still, it's a new ball game. So you got a redshirt freshman and two transfers at the guard spots playing against uh, a threesome for Michigan state. that has been together a long time. Um, that's going to be, it'll be interesting to me if Michigan state is able to create more pace and a, a faster game via its defense in this one. Now, again, normally this kind of matchup, you would just say, well, it's probably going to be a slow game because that's the way Tennessee is going to choose to play it and Michigan State is not going to do the things defensively to change that. Uh, This one might be a little bit different. It's also important that Michigan State is able to get into transition because we know Tennessee as a half-court defensive team is outstanding. So um, any easy baskets you can get in transition are going to be to your benefit. Right, and so the fifth key, uh, sorry, third key to the game are the boards. Michigan State, uh, you know, I don't know that I'd be... With their alarm bells going off, but certainly reasons for concerns a little bit that you Hillsdale pulled down uh, 17 offensive rebounds, a 33% offensive rebounding rate. And the Vols are a good rebounding team. They were sixth best offensive rebounder team last season. So there's good reason to think they'll be similar this year. And so this is a good challenge for Michigan State. You know, can they clean up the problems they had on the defensive side? And then I guess, you know, on the other side too, can they show a little bit more on the offensive boards than they did against Hillsdale? Yeah, and you know, the good news there is Tennessee was actually not a great defensive rebounding team a year ago. They're really good on the offensive side. But in general, Tennessee is a big, strong, aggressive team that is going to compete on the glass. And so Michigan State did not do a very good job at either end, I didn't think, 
in the Hillsdale game and watching Tom Izzo's post-game press conference, I think he felt the same way, to put it mildly. So I would imagine, you know, the couple of days leading into this game, there's probably a lot of challenging of people going on in, in Michigan State's practices <laughs> um, sure. to try to get a better performance. And it really wasn't it wasn't attributable to one guy or one position group. It was the whole team. You know, the bigs didn't do a good enough job of checking people out. They lost some balls that they got their hands on and couldn't corral. I thought that, and Izzo pointed this out, that there were times where MSU's wings were leaking out faster than they should have been, thus giving up opportunities for Hillsdale to grab long rebounds. I mean, it really was across the board a problem. So Michigan State's got to tighten it up considerably. And otherwise, Tennessee will just blast them on the glass. Yeah, and, and that's something we saw happen to Michigan State a couple of times last season where they just got crushed yep. on the boards, which cost them some games. Absolutely. Right? And, or at least made games that shouldn't have been close, a lot closer. Well, they lost the Michigan game on the road, right, yep. for that reason. Absolutely. Yeah, late in the game, could not get a defensive rebound. And that, was, and that was an area that Michigan State was actually pretty good in all year long, which was defensive rebound. Right. They just couldn't get a defensive rebound to save their life. So the fourth key to the game, rotations. And so we saw some weird rotations last game uh, where we saw the line change, you know, when all the freshmen and those two sophomores came in uh, about less than four minutes into the game. I suspect we'll see a little bit less of that. Yeah. But we may, I guess, I guess we'll, it'll be different than it was the first game in Hillsdale, assuming again that this is a normal well, feeling game, like normal One of game. the things that makes me think that is, you know, Izzo was asked if that's going to be something he's going to regularly do, and he immediately shot that down. Said there aren't going to yeah. be line changes. He said it just happened to work for that game and the plan they had for getting people minutes. But I, I don't think we'll see it. I think what's interesting about this game is I would expect that it will closely resemble what Michigan State would do in a regular season game. And so we may start to get some hints as to how this rotation is going to work. In other words, what guys are going to be out there in combination with what other guys. How early are they getting in the game? You know, all of those kinds of things. Like, you know, we've seen it over the years where it's scripted that at the first under, you know, at the under 16 timeout, such and such player is replaced yeah, automatically right. by this guy. You know, it, we, we don't have a feel for what that looks like just yet, but I think we may start to get one in this game. I do think, though, at some point in the season, we will see a line change uh, because there will be a point where Izzo is frustrated with the team and not responding well or playing sharp during one of these non-conference games. And and I feel like that almost always happens where they're just like, he's just so frustrated, he just takes everyone out of the Could game. Could be. So, and he has a certainly has the ability to this season with the, with the bench that he has. Uh, so for the final key to the game is toughness. So as we mentioned many times, Tennessee, tough team. They rugged. They good rebounding team. So... Yeah, the, the freshmen have not really paid, played that way, and you see that certainly that was one of the little knocks maybe on Booker in the first game too, that he was not quite ready from a physical standpoint. And Anyway, so I guess we'll see how they do. Yeah, I mean, this is look, this is a great, great preparation for Big Ten play, you know, because Tennessee really does in many ways play like a conventional Big Ten team. They're going to throw a lot of size at you. They're going to be physically tough. They're going to play a physical style. They're going to try to work you on the glass. They're going to play very, very good half-court defense, which uses physicality. Um, 
And you're going to see all those things throughout the year playing in the Big Ten. So it's good preparation for, for all of that kind of stuff. And I think, generally speaking, the deal is uh, if you're going to beat Tennessee, you're going to need to be able – one of the first questions you're going to be asked is – were you able to handle their physicality? This shouldn't be hard for our listeners to understand because it's something that other teams say about Michigan State all the time over Izzo's tenure. Right. You know, the first thing is, were you able to handle their physicality? And so this is Michigan State getting tested by another team who's asking those kind of questions of them, you know, and that shows up in a variety of facets of the game. Well, it will certainly be a treat to have this sort of matchup in exhibition before the real season starts with, you know, the first challenge against Duke, I suppose. Uh, So it'll be kind of a good litmus test to kind of where you are. And I think we saw a lot of positive things against Hillsdale and hope to clean up a few things that were concerning, like the rebounding primarily. Uh, And then I I guess uh, anything else with the game that you're looking for? Yeah, one other note. So this is on BTN, regular BTN. At uh at three thirty on Sunday, which is good because there's no Lions game competing with it, so that's nice. Lions don't play till Monday which night. Which ordinarily this time of year, just to be clear, would not be a problem. But but this year it is actually good. Um, <laughs> but the other thing I found incredible is they announced the broadcasting team. So it's Bill Rafferty, which is a rare treat. I think he's about as good as it is there is. Has he ever so done BTN? That will no, that not to my knowledge. So that's that's a rare thing, but his play-by-play partner, I couldn't <laughs> believe this is the case. The guy, and I, I'm not familiar with this guy. His last name, apparently, his real name, is Onions. Onion, <laughs> sorry, Onion, not plural. Um, it's a great whoever put that tandem together deserves a standing ovation. They really do. <laughs> Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I will not be in the building. You will be, but I'll, I'll be enjoying, uh, Raph and onion doing the game. Um, <laughs> uh, well, why don't you describe briefly why that is for those well, who might not be familiar with why that yeah, is. A- I think most of our listeners probably know this, but you know, Bill Rafferty for years, one of his, um, uh, classic calls in a game, if a guy takes and makes a big shot. He'll say onions, meaning, you know, <laughs> balls. Uh, and uh, to be, I can, I, I always have, in fact, it might be a Michigan State Texas game. I remember Darrell Summers got one of those calls, hitting a big shot, a jumper from the corner, um, got an onions call from, from Raf. But uh, yeah, the fact that they, they put this tandem together. Somebody, I just, I refuse to believe it was simply happenstance. I think somebody's got a very good sense of humor because it's, it's too on point. And it would be great if he starts calling a lot more big 10 games too. It's interesting. We've, you know, when we were talking to Robbie Hummel this summer, who is of course, you know, was one of our favorite yeah. color, uh, color men, new ones is a shifting landscape. You can work for multiple, you can work for any network you want really yeah. in multiple networks. And this would be an interesting departure from, but CBS now with the affiliation with the Big Ten. Well, they've had that for years. That he'd so be, you've, you've always had, and that's where Michigan State would get RAF games. They would get right, when, they, yeah. when they were playing a CBS the Sunday, game. Sunday game, right? Or in the NCAA tournament sometimes, depending upon what region they were in and what region he was assigned to. Um, 
But, you know, RAF does a lot of games for Fox and Fox's role with the Big Ten is has expanded. And of course, BTN. Um, so there might be more opportunities there. I have not looked. I, I don't believe that he is uh, he is slated to do any games with Peacock because I seem to recall Peacock announced their their teams and. I believe Humble's doing games for them as well. But um, the weird thing about that is their studio team was one or two Notre Dame guys. It was their, their studio team were, were guys who have no affiliation with the Big Ten, which I, I remember thinking was a really big miss on their part. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's like anytime you get Raft doing a Michigan State game, that's fantastic. Um, and it'll be cool to see him calling this game with Mr. Onion. <laughs> I still can't get over that. That's just so Yeah, funny. it's something else. Uh, the, the only thing that would have been better is if they uh, if they paired him with Jerome Lane. Uh, for, for those who might not realize, that the all-time RAF call is the send-it-in Jerome call that he had after uh, Jerome Lane, who was playing for the Pitt Panthers, um, tore down a backboard uh, in a game in the uh, in the late '80s at at Pitt, and so that's the only thing that could have topped this. I think is if they paired him with Jerome Lane or somebody named Jerome Lane at least. <laughs> well, the one thing too, I Michigan State's gonna be on Peacock. I think five games in the the season, yeah. and I, my one criticism of Peacock is they're at least with the football games. And I don't, I haven't watched a basketball game on Peacock. Maybe they haven't had any, I'm not sure, but that they're piping, the piping in of the crowd noise is really dampened. And so you get no feel for what's going on, you know, in the, in the crowd. Yeah, that's a good point. It takes away a lot from the game. And I, I don't know if they'll do that for basketball because it, that's one of the great things about listening to college basketball. You have those guys and they're, you know, all that you're hearing all that crowd noise right around the guys you're announcing. And it'd be a real shame if it's so quiet. It's a funny thing because I've, I've watched Michigan State play on Peacock. Um, I, I understand what you're saying and that tracks. That seems right to me. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I also watch um, a lot of uh, English Premier League soccer, and uh, Peacock does a fantastic job with those games. But I think that they are getting the broadcast stuff, I believe, maybe coming from Sky uh, yeah, over right. there. So I that's, think that's not a true. Peacock production. So because uh, it, it's funny, I've read a lot of criticism of Peacock football broadcast, and I think, well, I haven't watched a ton of football games on Peacock, not MSU games this year, but I've been really. I think the soccer coverage is fantastic. So I don't know where basketball is going to sit in all of that. Um, it'll it'll be interesting to watch, but um, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, with NBC's entrance into uh, into Big Ten coverage, you, you've got another player now to deal with. Yeah, well, not a problem for me, at least this game. So, uh, or in the future, maybe. So anyway, 3.30 uh, p.m. Tip, tip on Sunday. Hopefully it's a nice dry day. We can get in and out of the stadium okay. Uh, and I guess we'll be back right after the game with our post-game analysis and what happened. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.